Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us today. Any credible expert will tell you point blank that the 2020 November election was one of the most secure and well-managed in American history. That's true here in the state of Michigan, and that was true around the country. But that has not stopped many, if not most, Republicans from pretending otherwise, falsely claiming that there were widespread problems and that there was fraud. The GOP has been demanding, as a result, some large-scale election reforms. But they are not alone in saying that we need to do things differently. Democrats, at least here in Michigan, are also embracing some big changes to elections going forward, changes that they say will make it easier for people to vote and more secure. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson announced a series of reforms that she said is going to help build trust in the electoral process. They include measures like requiring mailing absentee ballot applications to registered voters every election cycle, giving clerks two extra weeks before an election to process but not count absentee ballots, and making Election Day a state holiday, something that is true in dozens of other nations but is not true in the United States. Here to talk about her proposals is Michigan's top elections official, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Uh, Secretary Benson, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. It's great to hear your voice. You too. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about some of the specific proposals in a minute, but, but I, I want to talk about the broad goals for this series of changes. When you group them all together... Why do you feel like these are the things we need to be doing right now? Because a couple of of reasons, but really at the heart of it, the legislative agenda is based on the will of Michigan voters, which is clear and unequivocal. They voted in 2018 to expand voting rights in our state's constitution. They participated overwhelmingly and exercised those new rights in, in 2020. And they very clearly want our elections to be accessible, strong and secure. And so in developing this agenda, this advancing the vote protecting democracy plan, we looked at data from last year's election, best practices from across the nation, and the the confidence in our system that was demonstrated by voter registration and turnout trends last year and and the very expanded rights that voters themselves voted in 2018. And through that, developed these series of policies that will increase the accessibility and security and and improve the infrastructure for our elections. So so as I said in the open, it's not just Democrats like yourself who are talking about election reform. Republicans have a, a number of things that they say need to happen as well. Now, they are in a different space than the things that, that you're talking about in terms of what they would accomplish. But I guess I'm, I'm wondering if you think there is an opportunity, if there's a, an overlap or a nexus between the kinds of changes that you would like to make and the kinds of changes that Republicans, even if uh, they're relying in some cases on the false premise that that our elections are, are rife with fraud or, or somehow exposed. Uh, but is there a chance to kind of uh, work on these things in, in a common in a common way because there's a common interest? I believe so. And that's certainly my hope. I mean, what we've built is a nonpartisan legislative agenda that's really based on data and facts, particularly 
what we learned from last year's election through voter behavior and other uh, contexts, what happened in other states, national best practices, and conversations with clerks and election experts. So in my view, that's how you develop good nonpartisan election uh, laws and rules. And, and, and I would hope that legislators on both sides of the aisle see that. I certainly believe that the conversations I've had with many, they do. Uh, And, you know, we also need legislators who will develop policies claiming we need to restore trust in our elections to begin by telling voters the truth, Mm -hmm. that there was no wrongdoing or widespread fraud in Michigan's elections. And that was despite a significant amount of scrutiny um, in our elections practices. So recognizing that, and if we can get past that and accept the same set of facts, then we can look at updating security requirements for our voting technology, prohibiting deceptive election practices that intentionally seek to mislead voters, provide more funding for our clerks so that they can do their jobs to ensure accurate and accessible elections, uh, and uh, you know a number of other things that, that my plan talks about that I believe we should be able to have bipartisan consensus from for if we're starting from the same set of facts with a sincere view of developing a voter-driven legislative package that will implement best practices and not further either or any partisan or political agenda. Mm. So so it's, I think, important to remind our listeners that there were a number of proposals made before the 2020 election that Republicans in our legislature blocked and said that they didn't want to do. One of them would have allowed clerks to start processing absentee ballots before Election Day. And that's one of the proposals that you've got on the table now. Of course, if they had implemented that before the November election, it would have prevented some of the long delays in vote counting uh, on and after the election. Um, Do you sense that Republicans maybe learned a lesson uh, from November uh, of 2020 about this issue and maybe are more open to the idea of processing these ballots earlier. I hope so. I mean, we certainly heard the former speaker after the election saying this is something we should have done. Uh, we know that other states like Florida provide 22 days of pre-processing. And uh, this, to me, is simply just a an element of the law that needs to be updated um, following the amendments to our Constitution that Michigan residents voted in to expand absentee voting in 2018. And notably, pre-processing will simply allow clerks to work more efficiently and securely and accurately. It will uh, enable the more efficient reporting of results. I'm really proud that through a significant recruitment effort of more election workers and a lot of investment, we were able to have unofficial results in November within 24 hours of the polls closing. Mm. Uh, and, and we saw what happened in other states like Pennsylvania, where those you know results came in later. And so it does create an opportunity for people to sow seeds of doubt uh, in during the counting process. And, and in that regard, pre-processing really helps uh, affirm the integrity of our elections by uh, being more, by enabling our clerks with more space and time to be efficient in counting those ballots and delivering the unofficial results in a uh, you know as soon as possible. So, so Ed on Twitter has a question related to this subject. He'd like you to define process, but not count early. What does mm. what does that actually mean? 
Well, it can be defined in lots of different ways, but it's essentially allowing clerks to, as absentee ballots are received, do a number of things after they do that initial security check of uh, signature confirmation to validate the ballot and the identity of the voter. Uh, It enables them to open envelopes, sort them into appropriate precincts uh, so that they're ready to go and be tabulated on Election Day. And I was, um, you know, I think it's important for us and for legislators uh, to have and voters to be part of this conversation of, of what exact components uh, uh, should be included in pre-processing. Many also believe that tabulation, uh, which happens in other states, you simply tabulate the ballots. No one knows the results. No one has access to the results, but they begin the process of tabulation prior to Election Day as well. That's more like early voting, but it's something that I think should be on the table for discussion uh, as we move forward in in identifying the details of implementation for this. And so, in my view, pre-processing is key, the details of which we can and should work out in conversations with clerks, election experts, and legislators, all with an eye towards developing really the best uh, collection of, of pre-processing actions uh, that help our clerks process those ballots as efficiently as possible. I'm talking with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about uh, the slate of election reform proposals that she has announced this week that she'd like uh, the legislature to embrace things that would uh, make it uh, more efficient and easier and safer uh, for us to cast the, the ballots that we do each year here in Michigan. Um, we'd love to hear from you uh, if you're interested in uh, giving us a call. Uh, what kinds of changes would you like to see in the way we conduct elections? And what do you think of some of the things that uh, Secretary of State Benson is proposing? For example, do you think Election Day should be a holiday the way it is in many other countries but is not here in the United States, uh, do you think the state should continue to send applications for absentee ballots to all registered voters uh, in Michigan? What do you think of those ideas? Again, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET uh, Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag uh, Detroit today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Um, I, I want to talk about this election day holiday, which I think is a really important idea uh, for voter access. It is something that that uh, we've never had in this in this country, really. And you look at other countries, many, many, many other countries. Uh, that do it on a, a Sunday, for instance, or a Saturday when people uh, generally are not um, are not as consumed with 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 work and other and other things. What effect do you think this would have on voter participation and the democratic process here in Michigan? Well, notably, I think what the data shows is is two things uh, really almost unrelated to voter participation because if you're enabling citizens to return to receive and return their ballots prior to election day that does create an additional convenience that people take advantage of and what that then does is one of the things is it enables people to serve as election workers on election day you know especially when at least half voters are voting absentee and we could we'll probably continue to see that in future elections Uh, When you have still voters in person at polling places on Election Day, we may need more election workers. We certainly did this past year. And this past year, we were able to make it work through sports teams and other businesses that stepped up, gave their employees the day off, off, made it a holiday internally, 
And that enabled us to essentially fill our needs of staffing the elections. And so this would actually make it even easier and validate businesses to give their employees the day off so that they can work the elections and serve as election workers. It increases engagement and transparency of the process. So all of that from a process standpoint is really good. And the second thing it does is actually just emphasize the preeminence that Election Day should have in our culture, uh, the idea that we should celebrate this, uh, the, the, uh, the power that we have as citizens to choose our leaders, uh, that that should be a day of celebration, that that should be everything that a holiday uh, entails in our culture uh, is something that I think Election Day should um, should, have, should be a part of. So uh, to me, that's, that's the other thing. It, it, it goes towards creating a more engaged and civically celebratory culture, which helps us have a healthier, and more, more robust democracy overall. So, so another uh, proposal that you have says that you want to prohibit, quote, deceptive election practices that deter or mislead voters. I, I would love to know how you define those kinds of practices and what specifically you're responding to with this proposal. Well, certainly this these past several months, we saw a unprecedented historic effort to undermine citizens' faith in their vote, in the elections process, through lies that were not based on any evidence, despite a significant effort to try to find evidence, even, you know, in some places putting bounties on those who would find evidence and bring and re- offering rewards, I should say, uh, to present um, evidence. There was nothing that was discovered. And so recognizing that uh, you still have to, um, in some ways, uh, draw a line to say it's not okay. Uh, it's not. It shouldn't be okay to lie to voters intentionally about their rights, especially preceding an election in a way that would impact their ability to cast their vote. And so there has to be, and this has been long discussed as a good policy that states and even the federal government should promote, just simply drawing a line, just like we say it's not okay to lie in, in false advertising. Uh, in commercial speech is something that is problematic. We should similarly identify intentional efforts to deceive or lie to voters in a way that would mislead them or impact their right to vote, their fundamental right to vote. Uh, it should be defined as something that is wrong in our law. So uh, I think the, the, the key word is intentional there, uh, making sure that, and that, that's sort of one of the key lines to draw, that it's, these are intentional acts, intentionally spreading information known to be false, uh, much like libel laws, also try to protect uh, um, uh, accuracy and truth in that way. Uh, and so, I, again, I hope this is a discussion we can have, but it's certainly something we saw in a really nefarious, ter- uh, challenging way impact our democracy uh, in uh, the past several months. And uh, I think it's an important statement to make for all of us moving forward that that was not okay uh, and uh, and make it a felony offense to intentionally disseminate false information about an election mm. if it results in, in the misleading of voters. Yeah, I mean, the misinformation, the, the, the purposeful dissemination mm-hmm. of misinformation is something that we've seen a real rise in, I feel like, over the uh, over the last few years. And, and last year, uh, it seemed like after the election, it just got worse. I mean, you, you, you just have uh, people outright lying about what mm-hmm. what happens and what they what they saw and and there isn't you're right there isn't a a, a great way to deal with it in the law right now um, and i feel strongly that if we don't take a stand in this moment 
and draw a line in the sand and say that was wrong. It, it look look at the ramifications it had, not just on our uh, public's confidence in the elections, but in the, the insurrection and attack on the United States Capitol building. Uh, there, the, this is the moment where we all come together and draw a line in the sand and say this has to stop. Uh, and we have to recognize that whether our candidate wins or loses an election, uh, whether uh, our uh, you know we, we feel um, you know ha- happy with the results or not. Uh, from a political standpoint, there's, it's still wrong on either side for to allow intentional manipulation of the facts and dissemination of those of those lies to um, to go unchecked. Uh, so, um, so again, my hope is this is something that we all can come together on and recognize the importance of of emphasizing in our laws as we work together to ensure citizens have not just a rightly faced place, a rightly placed faith in the integrity of our elections, but believe in their vote and know and can have assurance that when they cast their vote, it will be counted and that the results of the elections are accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to ask you about the proposal to ban anyone from openly carrying firearms within 100 feet of a voting location. Now, I'm somebody who doesn't understand why anybody brings a gun to a polling place. I really, really don't get that. Uh, but I also understand we live in a country that that uh, that respects the right to own and, and to bear uh, arms and that, uh, that we have to be careful about the ways in which we, we regulate that. Talk about why it's important to you uh, to limit open carry around uh, voting voting locations and and what you hear from Republicans about uh, about their reception to that uh, to that idea. Well, it, this is really an important issue, and it's something that is is important for many reasons. I mean, one, as we saw in the attack on the United States Capitol, there are still those who seek to do harm to the women and men who carry out our democracy. And in my view, first and foremost, local public election, public servant election clerks and volunteer election workers should not have to fear attack when they're serving their communities by administering elections on election day. And nor should voters when they cast their ballots. In fact, that's why we have um, clear laws against voter intimidation. Uh, but at the same time, we need to clarify what intimidation means. And as there's really no reason to openly bear arms while voting, and in fact, voting like uh, voting locations, in my view, uh, should be sanctuaries in our society, sanctuaries of calm and peace. Uh, we want to, you know, this policy is about calling on our legislature to do what uh, voters on both sides have uh, have called for, and we've seen a lot of the data that shows voters on both sides overwhelmingly support uh, protecting the safety and sanctity of our polling places. Uh, And so my hope is that our legislators, our lawmakers, who seem to be some of whom seem to be the only ones uh, who are, um, uh, you know, not in support of this very, you know, common sense policy uh, to essentially close the issue once and for all, protect our democracy, protect our voters, protect our election workers, and make it very clear that voter intimidation uh, and any threats to the safety of our poll workers or our voters in voting locations is impermissible. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Jocelyn Benson, Michigan Secretary of State, always great to talk with you here on the program. Thanks so much for calling uh, calling in and, and talking about this, this slate of uh, ideas. How, what's the timeline, do you imagine, for consideration of these in the legislature? Well, obviously, my hope is that 
we can move uh, into a conversation and collaboration period and, and, and begin enacting these laws this year because we've got uh, federal elections next year. As mm-hmm. you know, right now, the Citizens Redistricting Commission is meeting throughout the year to uh, begin drawing the next round of legislative districts that will be on the ballot in 2022. And recognizing that, uh, we have work to do right now uh, to learn from the lessons of 2020, to build on the successes of last year, and to Modify policies that worked and ensure that voters have clarity and our clerks have clarity moving forward uh, about the protections and the, the rules that will be in place for voters in that series of elections next year. Uh, so I appreciate the, you know, the, that so many legislators have already come forward in support of a lot of these policies. I look forward to the conversations with others. Uh, so that we can bring some ideas uh, in a bipartisan, collaborative way to the, to the governor for passage. Uh, and, uh, and and we'll see as things develop. And I would encourage citizens and voters who support many of these reforms to let your legislators know so that we can move forward with that discussion, with that collaboration, and develop some good policies in place for all of our citizens. Okay. Uh, great to talk with you, Jocelyn. We'll catch up with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Stephen. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to shift gears and take a look at the future of working remotely. So many of us are either loving or hating remote work during the COVID-19 pandemic. Derek Thompson of The Atlantic wrote a piece recently that suggests this is here to stay, even once we get past the COVID-19 problem. Do you believe that? Are you in favor of it? Or are you horrified? Stay tuned to the discussion when we get back with more Detroit Today.